series that we've been in for several weeks uh, about Jesus is the King. Jesus is the King. Today he is the King of Kings. We've looked at... My thing's not working. Here we go. Uh, we've looked at that Jesus is the King of hope. He's the King of peace. He's the King of joy. He's the King of love. Last night we looked at he is the King with us, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And then today on Christmas Day which will be the last time we have a Christmas Day Sunday service for about 11 years, I think they said. Uh, he is the King of Kings. So that's what we're looking at today. If you're a note taker, that QR code or fbcdan.com slash notes, you can go there, email that to yourself, and you'll have my slides, and you can take your notes and put those things together. So we don't want to waste any time this morning. We want to get right to it, and we're going to start in 1 Timothy excuse me, chapter 6, uh, verse 14. This is the very end of Paul's letter to what he calls the son, his son in the faith. It's the very end of his first letter to him. And uh, he's got some things to tell Timothy, as you would too, if you were considering yourself a father to someone that you had raised up in the faith. So um, some pretty important words that, that uh, Paul shares here. So 1 Timothy 14. Amy, you may have to click through this. My iPad's acting funny. It says, I charge you to keep the command without fault, or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only one who has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. No one has seen or can see him. To him be honor and eternal might. Amen. Join me in prayer if you would. Father, we come to you this morning. We just thank you. We love you. Lord, we're so grateful this morning lord for how amazing you are how wonderful you are god we thank you that your plan was the best plan Lord, i pray that we would trust in that truth that your plan was and is and will always be the best plan god jesus was not something that you had to do as god the father because you didn't expect us to mess up he was always the plan to reveal your wonderful, wonderful grace and mercy and glory, Lord. May we see a glimpse of that this morning as we dig into your word, as we go to our family and friends as we leave here today, God. May we spread that joy that it is to know you personally as Lord, as King, as Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I've got it going now, Amy. All right, so right there at the beginning, it says, I charge you to keep the command. Keep the command. Uh, what command is Paul talking about here? This whole letter to Timothy, the, the vocabulary that Paul uses, it has the feel of like a general to like a sergeant. It has a, a militaristic feel. It says stuff like charge and command, those types of words and verbs that would be militaristic and feel. They also have a, an athletic, like a coach to a player feel to them. So Paul has been given Timothy instructions and charges and commands throughout this whole letter. And this is the very end of the letter. There's only a few more verses after this. But the overall prevailing command is this. If we back up to verse 12, if you have your copy of the word open. The overall command is this. Fight the good fight for the faith. That's what Paul is trying to remind Timothy, to encourage Timothy, to motivate Timothy. He gives him truth so that he can do this. He gives him inspiration so that he can do this. He, he, just, he just over and over and over, he's just saying, Timothy, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Fight the good faith, fight the good fight, fight the good fight. 
for the faith. The whole verses there say, but you, Paul talking to Timothy, but you, man of God, verse 11, run from these things, sin, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to and have made a good confession about like Mick just did a few minutes ago. That's probably what Paul is talking about is Timothy's baptism. About a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. Now the word here for fight in the Greek is agonizo. Agonizo. The Greek word that we get agonize from. We still use that in the English. Fight the good fight. Agonize over the agony. Agonizo over agonai. Agonize over the agony for the faith. This has, like I said, both a militaristic and an athletic metaphor to it when Paul's talking like this. Whether you're competing for a crown or to win a conflict in battle, agonize over the agony. Fight the good fight. The implication here is a verb telling Timothy and us to have a disciplined struggle. That's what faith is. It's a disciplined struggle. It's not a, it's not a walk of rainbows and gumdrops and all this stuff. I don't know why that ever started becoming a thing. Like you just follow Jesus and life is great. Hogwash. That's not the way it works. It's too much sin in this world. It's too much evil inside of you and inside of me and inside of everyone. We have to have a disciplined struggle. It is a battle, a daily battle. And some days you get whipped and some days you do a little whipping, but it's a struggle. But it's a disciplined struggle. You fight. You don't ha- fight a war haphazardly. You don't enter a ball game without a plan. You have a plan. You have a plan of attack, and you attack. You fight the good fight. This is the charge Paul is referring to overall in our first verse in verse 14. That's what he's talking about when he says, I charge you to keep the command. That's the command he's talking about. Keep fighting the good fight. I charge you to keep this command. Fight the good fight. The good fight of pursuing righteousness and pursuing godliness and pursuing faith and pursuing love and pursuing endurance and pursuing gentleness. Keep fighting, Timothy. Keep doing it. You can do it. The good fight of taking hold of eternal life. Not saying that he can can earn eternal life. That's not what he's saying. That's not what it means to take hold of something. It means you've got it. Now grab it like you mean it and do something with it. You've got eternal life. Live like it. Live like you have eternal life. If you have an eternal perspective about the way you approach day-to-day activities, day-to-day life, you understand that today is just a day, but it ain't nothing compared to eternity. There's nothing that you can't endure in this life if you keep an eternal perspective. That's why it says take hold of eternal life. Aggressively pursue a deeper relationship with Christ, Paul is telling Timothy. Now understand this, Timothy is a pastor at this point, And he's reminding him to keep his personal relationship, aggressively pursuing his relationship with Christ. This is a pastor he's talking to. So he's saying don't, not, not haphazardly. Not half-heartedly, like many or most people today who claim to follow Jesus but aren't really doing much following, only requesting things from him. He said, don't be like that. Not not half-heartedly, just get after it. Timothy, get after it. Keep the command. Fight the good fight until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This appearing here, this word is epiphania. The same word we use epiphany for in English. The, the meaning in our modern English has changed a little, but it's still the same kind of idea. It just comes up out of nowhere, right? Epiphania, where we get the English word epiphany. The sudden manifestation or appearing of Christ that will occur the second time. 
even more suddenly than the first appearing. And the first appearing was pretty sudden. I mean, there were angels that were announcing it. We just read through the whole thing. Angels were announcing it. They, were, they just came to these nobodies. Like, there was a pretty sudden appearing the first appearing the first time, but the second time is going to be even more sudden. Paul uh, talks about this second coming in Titus 2.13 as our blessed hope. Our blessed hope. And then he says, God will bring this about in his own time. He will bring this about in his own time, this appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep the command. Keep fighting the good fight. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, because then we won't have to fight about it anymore. And he said, God will bring this about in his own time. God will have this appearing of his son Jesus when he knows the exact right time to do so. In his season, in his age, in his timing. Remember this, not your timing. Not your timing. His timing. We want Jesus to come back now. Or yesterday. Or in 2023. But it's not up to us. It's not up to us when Jesus comes back. We are to fight the good fight until he comes back, but we don't get to decide when he comes back. Just know that he is. He is. He is. He is. We don't get to decide that. It's his timing. Because you and you and you and you and everybody else, and especially me, we don't know squat about squat. The, the older you get and the more you learn and the wiser you get, the more you know you don't know squat about squat. You just don't. That's why it's not up to us when Jesus comes back. So just trust in that. Trust in God's timing. Trust that he really is God. He really is omnipotent. He really is omnipresent. He really is all-powerful, all things, all-wonderful. Just trust in that. Paul is reminding Timothy the pastor. And if he's got to remind Timothy the pastor, he's certainly got to remind Daniel the pastor and all of us as well. And then Paul gives us the fighting fuel, I think, to contend and aggressively pursue this good fight in the next verse. He says, he is the blessed and only sovereign. The blessed and only sovereign. The King James says, potentate. <laughs> if you've got the King James Version open this morning, you see that. The potentate. The blessed and only potentate. Now, that's a really cool word that nobody uses anymore or understands, but it is a cool word. It just means one who has the power. One who has the power and position to rule over others. A monarch, one who dominates or leads a group or an endeavor, a potentate. We don't say that anymore. So now the more modern, the more modern translations say, the NIV says ruler. The message says the blessed and undisputed ruler. The NLT says the only almighty God. And the NASB and the HCSB, and the HCSB is what I have on the screens, what we're using today, says sovereign. Same thing. He is the blessed and only Sovereign, the only one that truly reigns, the only one that truly reigns completely and wholly and justly. And I don't mean holy like, like H-O-L-Y, I mean W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, completely, holy reigns. So he does holy reign too, H-O-L-L-Y. Our God reigns. We sing songs about it. There's, there's psalms in the psalms about it, but we sing songs. Our God reigns. He does. Psalm 115, excuse me, how about Job? Job 42, 2. Apparently I forgot to put Psalms in there. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Think about this in terms of sovereignty. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalm 115, which I don't have on there for you. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases because he is God and you and I are not. Or Romans 8.28, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He is sovereign. Rest in that. Rest in that. Trust in that. Because there is nothing that you can or should do about that. But rest and trust in that. He is the one and only, blessed, only, true, sovereign. And then he gives that title. I love this title. You guys know I love this title. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now this is the part that I've been waiting for. This is the part that I get excited about. Right? For a couple of reasons. One... Because Jesus gets a tattoo. Uh, I'm kind of kidding on that, but I'm kind of not. You'll see. No. <laughs> now, I love this title for God. I do. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We, we only see this used three times in the New Testament. And the first time it is used is right, is right here in Paul's letter to Timothy. This whole little section from, from he is to amen, most scholars think this was a well-known doxological hymn at the time for Christians. And doxology just, just means a song of praise. That's all doxology means. And being well known is why Paul just bursts right into it right here. Right? He's telling him all these things. He's giving him instruction. Then he just bursts into this, into this doxology, this, this, this well-known hymn at the time. And if it wasn't well-known at the time, it certainly became well-known really quickly after this letter uh, was, was dispersed throughout the known world. So Paul bursts into this right here, explaining these things to Timothy and encouraging him to stay and fight the good fight. Remember, Timothy is in Ephesus when Paul writes this letter. He is, the, he is pastoring in Ephesus, and Ephesus is a rather godless city in a rather godless time and a rather difficult church that Paul is encouraging Timothy to keep fighting during these times. It, like always, it sounds kind of similar to now. It's almost like human beings haven't changed. So Paul uses this doxology, including this term of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to remind Timothy of who is in charge and who and what he is fighting the good fight for. As Wiersbe says, he's better than me, the kings and rulers of the earth may think they have power and authority, but God is sovereign over all. Over all. So we'll go to the next two places that it talk, that it says to. Next two places that it says this title, both of them being in Revelation. It says, these will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them because he is, notice the, how it flips it here, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. Now these, on the these, that first word of verse 14, this is in chapter 17. These are the kings, ten kings, who worship the beast during the apocalypse. Right? And now they're bringing war, they think, against the Lamb. And the Lamb is obviously Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so they uh, are, are of these at the beginning of this verse. That's who it's talking about. Ten, ten kings of the world trying to bring war in the beast's name against Jesus. So now we're talking, let's get to the part where Jesus starts whipping some tail. Okay? I like this part where we get to this right here. But let's get to where he starts whipping some tail. But I have one question before we move on. Those who are called are with him. Those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Are you called, chosen, and faithful? That's a question you might want to have answered before you walk out of here today. 
The final use of this title is in Revelation 19, 16. Here we go. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. So you hear that? On his robe and on his thigh. I don't think he did it with a magic marker. I'm just saying. <laughs> he may have. He can do whatever he wants, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to justify my, my own decisions. But anyway, <laughs> says it right there. And he has a, a name written on his robe, King of kings and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of of lords. This is when, a little bit later, in the, in the apocalyptical account in Revelation, where, where the war is starting. The war is now starting. Good and evil. The ultimate battle of good versus evil that we, that we show out in mythology in all of our movies and stories ever since. It's good versus evil. And then a little later in this chapter, it says, Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse, and against his army, I cannot wait to be in that army. Like, I literally cannot wait to be in that army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with him, the false prophet, who had, who had performed signs in his presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, the, the beast and the false prophet. The rest were killed with the sword. The rest of the evil followers of the beast and the false prophet were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider of the horse. It says, when, it, when it's describing Jesus right before it calls him king, of, king and lord of lords, that his tongue comes out like a sharp, double-edged sword. He literally kills them with his word. <laughs> his word, just like he has always used his word for power. Comes out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all, check this. Never really thought about this till this week. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now, I skipped over the part where it says God calls all the birds of the earth, all the birds of the earth together, and tells them to eat the flesh of all these that are about to be killed on the earth. I mean, that's kind of gross. It's not really, it's not really Christmassy, to be honest. But think about it. Think about it. These bums are trying to wage war against God, against the Lamb of God, against Jesus. They think they are the most powerful. God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has control of the birds, man. The birds. He uses the birds to defeat these people. It's amazing. They're lined up with their weapons and their swords and whatever they think they're fixing to attack Jesus and his, and his followers with, and God strikes them down with his word, and then uses the birds to eat them. I'm following that guy. I'm just saying, I'm following that guy. It says, Satan is thrown into the, bit, into the abyss, and he stays there for a thousand years. And then the martyrs of Christ rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. And then you get to the chapter 20, the next chapter, verse 7. It says this, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. And will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up over the surface of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints. Picture it. The beloved city, Jerusalem. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Good guys win, bad guys lose. 
Again, the bad guys, evil, led by Satan, they rise up all over the earth after he's released. Again, for some reason, we are hard to learn. We are a hard-headed species. They've seen all these things that have happened already, but nope, he comes up and deceives them again. Again, and they rise up all over the earth. It says there's a number of the sand of the sea. And they surround Jerusalem, and they are ready to attack the saints and the Lamb. They're ready to get them. They're ready to go after them, just like before. But the God who is sovereign over all doesn't shoot a shot, doesn't swing a sword, doesn't throw a spear, doesn't throw a punch, consumes them with fire from heaven. That's the sovereignty that God has. The God who is sovereign over all sends fire down from heaven and consumes evil. Rest in God's sovereignty. Rest in his sovereignty. Trust in his sovereignty. There's not a king who can overtake him. There's no army large enough to thwart his ways. He doesn't need a bow and arrow. He doesn't need a sword. He doesn't even need you or me. But he wants us. He commands the birds. He commands the fire from heaven. He is in control. He rules and he reigns. Jesus Christ is the victor forever and ever and ever and ever. Yes, the same Jesus that started his earthly life, like we've celebrated for the last several weeks, as a humble little child. He's born humble and, and in an obscure way. Born to nobodies, to nowhere, with nothing. It's amazing. This same person we just talked about in Revelation was born to nobodies, nowhere, with nothing. He gave up everything and became sin, though he had not sinned, so that we might become the righteousness of God. If there was a better way to do it all, he would have done it differently. But there isn't. So he did it this way. And he's going to do it this way. He tells us the end of the story. He did it this way. He is the king of kings. He is the lord of lords. Nothing, 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 nothing will stand in his way of accomplishing his will. Rest and trust in his sovereignty today. Even if Santa didn't bring you the present that you think, thought you had to have. Rest and trust in him today. Tony Evans says it like this. He's a lot better and a lot better with words than I am. Direct quote. When trials and tribulations strike, remember that God is sovereign. When you think more highly of yourself than you ought, remember that God is sovereign. When, you, when your life hits rock bottom, whew, remember that God is sovereign. The worst nightmare of the wicked is that God is sovereign. The overruling hope of the saint is that God is sovereign. That's what the Christmas story every year reminds us of. God is in control. A baby that he promised from Abraham 2,000 years before. He preserved all the way down the line and then had him born at the right time to the right people, with the right nation in control, with the right person that would authorize his execution, he is in control. He knows exactly what he is doing. So this Christmas season, whether it's been full of joy, 
or full of heartache or somewhere in between, depending on what season of life you're in. Just remember to keep fighting the good fight because God is sovereign. Fight the good fight of eternal life. Don't fight like this life is all there is because it's not. Fight for eternity. Have a different mindset and a different perspective than the world does. Fight the good fight of eternal life. You are fighting with and for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. We're going to finish in song today. Uh, and this is the time where you can do business. You can come down and pray. You can sing this song. Uh, if you, if you have, want to come down front and make a profession of faith that you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ or you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you want to let us know that, that you have repented of sin and you're calling out to him as Lord, as King of Kings, as Savior today, there's nothing more exciting for the church, for the body of believers than to see another believer make the same profession that they are holding on to. The fight that they are fighting for, for eternal life. So whatever you need to do during this song, I'll be down front if you need me. Let's handle it, and then we'll go have some Christmas. Father, we come to you, and we thank you, and we love you for your grace and your mercy and your love, God. Today we pause and thank you that your miraculous story proves without a shadow of a doubt, God, hundreds of prophecies prophesying your birth and your life and your death and your resurrection, God. Thousands of years it took for this story to come about. And we're waiting, Lord, and we know that your second appearing is coming suddenly, Lord. But may we be disciplined warriors fighting the good fight, found fighting the good fight when you appear and come take us home the second time, God. We long for that day, but strengthen us to fight until that day comes. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.